Well, Lord's blessing to you. Thank you so much. It's been a while since we have visited this way on a Sunday morning. And uh, it is really a blessing to be here. Forgive me here. I'm trying to figure out what uh, what's... Aha! Every time I moved, uh, my ear pulled, so I thought I was in trouble. So there we go. Now I have a little more slack on the line. So I was, of course, praying, what would God have? What should I share? Uh, what is it that would be an encouragement to edify, to build up? And so one of the things that I was thinking back on, uh, about maybe six months ago or so, uh, we were coming in our church to a place of uh, bringing communion and one of the things that we use is a communion form. And the purpose of that is to be obedient to the scripture where Paul tells us in 2 Corinthians 13. He says, examine yourselves, test yourselves. And then he says, or do you not realize this, that Christ is in you? And in the Greek, what it is saying is Paul is saying, test yourselves to see if you're in the faith. Or do you not realize this, that the footprints and the evidence of Christ's work in your life, is it there? Is Christ in you? Is his presence and his work increasing? Is his, uh, the, his work of holiness and righteousness, is it having its way in our lives? And that's exactly what Paul was presenting to the Corinthians there. And so this communion form, actually the reality is I've used it for many years, almost, almost 25 years in different settings where it is a time to reflect. There's a period of time to, to look at what do the footprints of Christ look like in our lives. Now, it's not always just in the area of performance, you know, the do's and don'ts, although those are also very important. The heart behind why we want to do or why we don't want to do is really where the spiritual meat of that journey is. But uh, obviously God also has things that he would expect from his children, but it is also the journey of the heart and the things that we long for and the reasons why behind that. And so, anyway, on this, uh, coming up to the time in preparing for communion, I gave out the communion form, as I often do, and then we, we go about looking at that in different ways at different times. And so, anyway, one of the things that was very much impressed on me at that time is that depending on how we've been brought up or depending on how we view God or how we view um, the way in which God walks with us, it is very easy to take something like that and make it into a checklist, and so what that did is that birthed in my heart uh, a time for about 11 or 12 weeks, I taught a series entitled Not a Checklist. And so what it is is oftentimes in our minds, you know, when we look at things, it's pass-fail. It's, uh, you know, either, we're, either we've achieved it or we haven't achieved it. You know what I mean. So we look at something, am I this or am I not this? But the reality is, is that in most things when it comes to after being born again, that's a... That's an in or out. But after that point, the whole journey of walking and being conformed with, uh, to the image of Jesus Christ and being changed by the power of his word and his spirit is a journey. Right? It is a journey. It's kind of like this. It's kind of like having a field to plow. And God says, go and plow that field. And we set in, we set in the plow and maybe we're being pulled, we're pulling it with oxen or maybe there's something more sophisticated. And we begin that journey of doing our very best to lay the rows straight and to do the things that are necessary. And if somebody would come and say, while we're in the midst of plowing that field, have you plowed this field? Pass or fail? You say, well, I'm in the midst of it. But oftentimes we forget the journey. 
God calls us to abound still more. God calls us to uh, continue to uh, grow in respect to salvation. It's a journey, amen? So oftentimes, you know, we look at things, no, I'm not where I should be. Yes, I may not be where I should be, but you know what? By the grace of God, I am not where I was, and I'm continuing the journey to follow God his way. There is joy in that journey when we don't have a checklist mentality. There is a blessing in that peace when we're under training of God. There is a freedom that comes when we say, yes, I'm still learning. My rows aren't completely straight, but by the grace of God and with his instruction, I'm continuing to do better. Day by day, the journey is a joyful one if we don't have a checklist mentality. When we have a checklist mentality, I'm just not what I should be. I'm not where I should be. I'm not seeking as I ought to. All of us will say those things. But, you know, God has not intended for us to carry a burden of guilt and failure if we're in the field and in the midst of plowing it. And so when we approach this idea, this understanding of we're not a checklist. So I was thinking back on this. So it was about 12 weeks worth of teaching. So I'm going to take that this morning and I'm going to put it in one hour. Or two. No, just kidding. Let's see what we can do. And so I want us to uh, talk about this. And I have several things. So what I'm going to do is I'm going to I'm going to throw a stone across the pond and I'm going to hit some things that we looked at over the course of that uh, time. And I'm hoping and praying that God's going to use it as a place of encouragement for you. I guess if I were to boil down all of those things that we looked at during that time. Hold on, let me get my notes here squared away. It is the power of and the amazing uh, uh, benefit of God having us on a journey to teach us his ways. In Ephesians, uh, turn with me to Ephesians chapter 4, verse 13. We're going to start there together and look at a few things. And then uh, Ephesians chapter 4, we're going down and looking just at verse 13. Now, just prior to this, God is telling us through Paul about the different uh, ministry gifts in the church. And, of course, the purpose of that, the purpose of having leaders is in order to be part of, not the completeness of, but part of the journey of the catalyst of creating or allowing in our lives moments of maturing. This journey of plowing the field, of continuing to do things for the Lord. And in verse 13, after it talks about those gifts, it says, until, look at this, until we all attain to the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God to a mature man and a mature woman. Here the apostle is explaining to us how important it is that there are leaders, that there are gifts being exercised, that the body is functioning in the teachings and in the care of the church. And it is one of the purposes there is so that we can mature both in the knowledge of the Son of God and also to mature in the way in which we follow him. And he finishes out that particular verse and says, to the measure of the stature which belongs to the fullness of Christ. That journey of allowing us to grow and to mature. That's part of it in the church. But the other part is found in Romans 8:28, which I'm going to quote to you. And it says, and we know that all things work together for good to them that love God, to them who are called according to his purpose, for whom he foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his son. 
So between the work of the church and the sovereignty of God, do you know that the Lord's heart is to allow us to be in the field of maturing spiritually in so many different aspects and that we are going to succeed if we continue to lean our heart into God. We are not going to fail. We are going to succeed because our God is the Lord of all, including our journey. And so we struggle sometimes. We make mistakes sometimes. We're flat out uh, resistant to the hand of God. And yes, that is always wrong. But that journey forward, God is still committed to continue to lay his hand and to lay his hand. Now, I will say this, uh, that there is no question we can turn away from God. We can lose our salvation. We can reject the king. We can, tr- we can trample underfoot the blood of the covenant by which we have been sanctified, the writer of Hebrews tells us. But I am going to say this to those who love God and are leaning into him. The journey of God's sovereign hand, both through the desire of the working of the church in the local body and through the sovereignty of God's hands in our life is to create in us a heart that will continue to lead us to maturity and growth. We will not fail. He is the author and the what of our faith. What really? The beginning of the field and the end. When we lean into God, we can know, even though we stumble, even though we make mistakes, even though we we totally mess up at times, we can go back and make it right and continue the journey forward. Isn't that a blessing? But Satan wants to just heap that guilt and Satan wants to heap that condemnation upon us in the midst of the journey. Yes, the rose could be better. The seed could be sown more uh, appropriately or, or efficiently, maybe. I don't know. I'm, I'm not an ag person, as you can tell, right? There are many things that we should have done. There are things that we could have done. There are things that we should be changing, and that is all good. But the bottom line is, is that we need to realize that we're on this journey with a Heavenly Father who takes us there because He cares about us. And in that journey, the title of the sermon today is Sovereign Moments of Character Changes. Because on that journey, like any good father, God is in the midst of showing us his heart. God is showing us his character. And so there are sovereign moments that if we're able to see them for what they are, if we're able to receive them as God intends them, they are sovereign moments that change our character. That exact moment as God is changing us is very powerful. We could be walking past it maybe and not realizing it, but if we can see it for how God intends it, our hearts, our minds, our lives will change. The one who does not change says, I'm not going to, I can't. They have problems. But for those who love God and say, Lord, I want to be more like you. I want to be conformed to the image of your son. I want to have your heart. I want to be with you. In that journey, God's hand will continue to say, then I will show you how to get there. I will walk with you because I'm totally committed to you. The key in this journey is the way in which we respond. In, if we respond in a way that allows what God has intended to work in our lives to mature us and to bring about fruit in our lives. And that is a blessing. So what I'd like to do is take 11 or 12 weeks, and I'd like to just skip it, skip the stone, and explore some key examples that I believe are very deeply uh, rich in the Word of God that can work in our hearts and work in our lives, that have the potential to bring 
wisdom that we do not possess, things that God uses to bring character that we do not currently have, to bring an anointing that we do not possess currently, things that we don't have right now. There are circumstances where God wants to work in our lives and to take us from the outer courts of God's work of obedience, which is very important, and it will lead us through the different courts and into the holiest of holy where we sit with the Lord. We all have these sovereign times. May God give us a heart this morning to deepen our willingness to lean into them. So I want to start off with the life of David. And if you would, turn with me to 2 Samuel chapter 16. David made a lot of mistakes. But David also repented of those things. 2 Samuel chapter 16. Going down and starting at verse 5. The thing with David is, is that, that he learned. He learned as God was working in his life. You know, we, we see examples of David's anger, and then we see David's situations where he submits to the will of God in a way that just is mind-boggling, seems so opposite of our nature. But here in chapter 16, we know the background story here that, that David's son, Absalom, had, had an issue that he was, uh, he was bringing about among the children of Israel. And what he wanted is he wanted his father's authority. He used the fact that David was not very good at ruling things uh, in, the, in the area of bringing justice. And so he began to use that, that issue that the children of Israel saw in the flaw of David. And he began to stand at the gates and he began to say, I, listen, there's wisdom to be had. Let me, let me work with you in this peace. Let's, let's talk through this. And little by little, what happened was Absalom began to woo away the hearts of the children of Israel. And so Absalom got to the place where he's like, you know what? Not only can I help the children of Israel, I should be their king. So instead of coming and seeing that he should walk with the weakness of his dad and see him as blending with him in a way in order to strengthen his kingdom, he used it in order to, to pull away the hearts of the children of Israel to himself. And so he makes this plan and he, he creates this elaborate plan and he begins to execute it. And Absalom comes into the city and there's this huge uproar that he is the king. He is the anointed one. And David was caught up, caught off guard and he wasn't even sure what was going on. And so here we see going down to verse five, King David and his, and his people from the palace are beginning to leave the city. And you think, well, how come he didn't fight? Well, he didn't want to fight against his son. At least not at that point. Anyway, starting at verse 5, it says, And when King David came to Baharam, behold, there came out from there a man of the family of the house of Saul, whose name was Shimei. So in this, in this story, David's leaving. He's not sure what's going on. He's, he's leaving the palace behind. He's trying to discern what the will of the Lord is. And he's beginning this very sad and confused journey out of the city. And so as they go, this, this gentleman named Shimei, he was one of, uh, one of Saul's relatives. He comes out there and he starts cursing him. And we're going to see in a minute, he says, you're a worthless wretch. You have no purpose, David. And so in verse 6, it says he threw stones at David and at all the servants of King David and all the people and all the mighty men who were with, 
were at his right hand and his left. And Shimei said when he cursed, get out of here, get out, you man of bloodshed and worthless fellow. Have you ever been in a situation where someone came to you and said, you are a worthless person? Or did you hear gossip that made you feel like they were saying you were a worthless person? Have you ever had Satan come and say, you're a worthless person? Here David was, the king, and this guy, because of all of his bitterness, he comes to a place and he's like, you know what? You deserve this. You are worthless. God's finally going to finally put you where you need to be, David. He's finally going to put you in your place. You have no value. Verse 8, and uh, the Lord was returned, uh, the, the Lord has returned upon you, this is him continuing to curse, all the bloodshed of the house of Saul in whose place you have reigned, and the Lord has given the kingdom into the hand of your son Absalom. And behold, you are taken in your own evil, for you are a man of bloodshed. And then it tells us that one of his mighty men says, Why should this dead dog curse my lord the king? Let me go over now and cut off his head. Let me stop it. But here's the place where I want us to see the way in which uh, David responded. It says, But the king said, What have I to do with you? If he curses, and if the Lord has told him, curse David, then who shall say, why have you done so? Now, in looking at this, you see the heart of David. David did not know what the outcome was going to be. David had not yet known, is God raising up Absalom? Is this situation from the Lord? Was God really uh, chastising David for something he hadn't done? And, of course, in this circumstance, King David could have done anything. His, his men were ready to fight for him. They were ready to defend him. And he said, let me stop this. And he said, no, don't stop it, because I don't know yet if the Lord has not given him the words to say this. I just don't know yet. In that exact moment, you can go through and read the rest of it. David had no idea what the outcome was going to be. But David did not want to be in a place where he was not able to receive what it was that God had for him to learn. And it's so powerful. Because there are things that come into our lives that disappoint us. There are things that come into our lives that press us. There are things that come into our lives that we feel like we're wrongly accused or, or somehow we're put in a wrong place or, or justice isn't being served. And there are many times where we want to rise up and we want justice. But God shows us in the example of David, we, we see in David's heart, hold on, who am I to say yet if God has not told him to speak this? How do I know? God, what do you have in this? God used this circumstance in David's life because David didn't take it into his own hands. In the end, David was never taken off of his throne. But he did not know that. But the lesson that he learned by leaning into it and not fighting for it was powerfully supernatural. It was beyond anything that David could learn on his own. The wisdom and the anointing of God comes in the circumstances where we need to lean into things that don't go well. You know, we live in a world where many of the things that hurt and many of the things that, that pain us, we want to get rid of. But the reality is, is that what I'm trying to bring across here is that we serve a sovereign God that as we're plowing the field of holiness, 
When these situations come, God is telling us to lean into him because it's in that place we're going to see the anointing of his face. We're going to see him. Much of the counseling that we have today is trying to get rid of issues. And I'm not saying that's all what we shouldn't do. That's not what I'm trying to say. But I am saying this, that there are many circumstances that God allows in order for us to be broken and, uh, and open and soft before him. And it's in that spot where God speaks. So maybe you're not like me, but I've had many situations in my life where everything in me wanted to defend it, wanted me to change it. Everything in me wanted to rise up or have someone else rise up for me and cut off somebody's head. But God continues to show me, and I still don't always do well, that God is speaking in the circumstance, even if ultimately what is being said to me isn't even going to happen. Because God causes all things to work together for good to them who love God, to, that love him and are called according, according to his purpose. Is that true? How many of you believe that scripture is true? God causes all things, misunderstandings, backbiting and slander, issues where financial things come. We set our hearts to things that doesn't work, sickness. How many of you believe that all things work together for good? In the life of the believer. Put your hand up. I want to see you. Okay. All right. I think most of you did. God works amazingly. A number of uh, months back, maybe a year and a half or so, I was journaling through something uh, that God was doing in my life in this, in this exact place. And uh, I was able to write out something that I called a blessing, a blessing to our critics. And I actually remember I shared it with uh, some of the leaders from from here, I believe, back back maybe a year and a half ago or so. And I just want to read it to you. This is something that God was showing me, a blessing to our critics. You know, our critics do more for us than most of our friends do. Our friends are typically very loving and gracious towards us and our weaknesses. Often they do not call them into account because of their care for us. Our critics, though... On the other hand, we'll go great lengths to point out our weaknesses to us and to others as well. Our critics are attentive. They are diligent and they're very watchful over our every word and our every action. Often they are seeing things before they even happen. Isn't that amazing? Our critics will seek to diminish our credibility and our reputation as much as they have the ability. Our critics also cause us to seek God in very deep ways in order to help us to discern both our own motives and our own actions in the accusations. Think of King David. They cause us to feel insecure. I don't know about you, but you know, there are times, oftentimes, I feel very insecure. And they cause us to question our own ability. And they send us to the master's feet, needy and very broken. They create an environment where we cannot stay spiritually lazy anymore. We can't stay spiritually incompetent or spiritually disconnected. If we do, we won't make it. They cause us to pray 
and to pray in such a way that we need direction, that we need relationship, allowing us to find the face of God. They cause us to seek God in order to find his provision, his correction, and his overwhelming validation, his healing touch, and the cleansing of our conscience by getting everything right, no matter how small. Our critics press us into a depth of walk with the Lord that we could not know without their labors in our lives. We do want to bless our critics, or as Jesus said, love our enemies. For they have been and will continue to be a tool of God in our lives. The more we seek to live for the Lord and stand for what is true, the more diligent they will become. As a result, the more careful we will become to only honor Jesus Christ for what he has done. To this, all God's people need to humbly say yes and amen. God calls us to embrace the situations that our critics create for us. He wants us to embrace the fire of the situation because by embracing the fire, by embracing the night, we are availing ourselves to God's sovereign work of holiness within our own imperfect souls. God is teaching us how to plow a straight row. I am just now beginning to see why James says, count it all joy. Count it all joy. The reason is, because when we encounter various trials, it is to, it is part of the journey of our becoming holy. This is why Jesus tells us in Matthew 5.11, Blessed are you when others revile you and persecute you and utter all kinds of evil against you falsely. Why would you be blessed? But it causes us to pause and it makes us lean into God. Now, there is a world of difference between a friend who shares a criticism out of genuine care for you and a critical person who says they are a friend. And to be sure, often criticism is not delivered well. But this is the heart that I want us to grab a hold of here this morning. But we need to understand, we need to know in our souls that there are even things for us to glean in these circumstances even if ultimately, if we discern that the criticism that we are receiving is not true. Because God is in the situation. God can work in the... God can work in the accusations. God can work in the criticisms, and God can work in our lives in every way possible if we can receive it well. One of the other rich soils, I believe, of opportunities that God gives us in the school of Christ is in the area of acceptance of God. Now, I don't mean our acceptance of God, but our understanding of his acceptance of us. If you will, turn with me to Acts chapter 8. I want us to look at a very interesting scripture together. Acts 8, starting at verse Uh, Let's see, starting at verse 18. When we were doing this whole series, this began, this not a checklist. This is one of the scriptures that began to look at. And this was um, 
an amazing circumstance. Let's go back to verse 14. And it says, And when the apostles in Jerusalem heard that Samaria had received the word of God, they sent them Peter and John, who came down and prayed for them that they might receive the Holy Spirit, for he had not yet fallen upon them. They had simply been baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus. Then they began laying their hands on them, and they were receiving the Holy Spirit. must have been a very exciting time. Verse 18 then says, Now when Simon saw that the Spirit was bestowed through the laying on of the apostles' hands, he offered them money, saying, Give this authority to me as well, so that everyone on whom I lay my hands may receive the, gift of, may receive the Holy Spirit. But Peter said to him, may your silver perish with you because you thought that you could obtain the gift of God with money. You have no part or portion in this matter for your heart is not right before God. Therefore, repent of this wickedness of yours and pray that the Lord, if possible, the intent of your heart may be forgiven you. And we know that Simon says, please pray for me that these things may not be so. But I paused a little bit there. When the apostle said to him, he said, uh, uh, you, let you and your silver perish because you thought that you could obtain the gift of God with money. What a crazy idea. Imagine if somebody came in the back this morning and they said, hey, how much do I need to give in order to be a Christian? Like, how much money will it cost me? What is it? Or how many, um, you know, how much tithe money and offering can I get in order to be uh, to be a member here? How would that be? You might be like, hmm, we could build a big building with this. But we're not going to do that. We're not going to, we're not going to say, well, look, if you give, uh, you know, six and a half million dollars, we're going to make you an honorary member here. A plaque with your name and everything. We'll name it after you. We're not going to do that, right? Because we know that that's not how the kingdom of God works. So Simon in this circumstance is saying, well, you know, here, I'll give you how much for this? And we say, what a crazy idea. But what if instead of money, what if we had a mindset that would say, how many good works will it take for me to purchase the gift of God's love? How well do we need to perform in order to have the gift of God's love for us? Is it one work a week or two works or ten or is it 80? Is it 500 a week? Where is that threshold where we transition from being behind the eight ball with God and being in front of it. So where is that place? Or how many hours of pouring over um, how we failed God will make us prove that we are sincere? How many hours? Now, I'm talking to the righteous here. I'm not talking to folks who are playing games with God. I'm talking with people who are leaning into the Lord and know that we're not perfect. How many hours of commiserating will it take until God goes, okay, yep, yep, that's, that's good enough. David, how many hours would it take for you to be, uh, be on God's good side of doing that? Poor guy, he didn't know I was going to call him out. You don't have to answer. I'm just, <laughs> it's all right, you're off the hook. Now, we're going to say, well, it's kind of like how much money would it take? Well, we know it, it doesn't work that way. Oh, really? How's it work in our thinking? So I wonder about how many prayers does it take till we have God's acceptance? 
So our conscience is solid in the fact that we are received by God. How many, how many hours of prayer is that going to take? No, I'm not saying we don't need to pray. I'm not saying that we don't need to walk righteously. You know that. But where is that threshold where we, where we know we're not where we should be and it, and it transfers over into where we know where we ought to be? How much does it cost to secure that? How much sacrifice will it take? How much holiness, how much thou shalt not do we put into our lives until we know that we are accepted by the king? How many checklist boxes do we check until we know it's good enough? I think that's amazing. Peter says to him, he says, you and your silver are going to perish because you thought that you could obtain the gift of God with money. How is that possible? How much Bible knowledge or scripture memorization will it take to be a good exchange for the security of mind that Jesus is pleased enough to call us his child? Is it one chapter? It's got to be the book of James, at least. We have to have that memorized. At least. Right? See, this causes a struggle for us because we know that holiness is what God calls us to. But you know, holiness and hungering and thirsting after God is a byproduct of having a relationship to God. Right? Holiness comes. I remember um, when we were going through this series, one of my one of my boys came in while I was studying and he came in to ask some other question and i said hey okay i'll answer that but let me ask you a question do you ever doubt that that you're my son and that i care about you and that i love you and he's like uh no i'm like why not he was like um because you're my dad i'm like that's all you got he's like yeah I'm like, you don't ever doubt it. Like, you, you, you know, you know, I fuss at you. You know, I hold you accountable. You know, I instruct you. Okay. That's what dads do. That was the end of the conversation, pretty much. Because he knows that me, as a, as a sinful father, that he's my son. And he will always be my son. And my love and care for him is not based on his performance in my life. Now, if he, rejects the Lord, rejects the things of the Lord like my oldest son has, there is definitely a journey where you need to separate. But my love for him does not change. In fact, I let him know that every week. I tell him, I love you always. So how much work does it take when we're born again to be secured in our sonship or our daughtership, if that's a word, in who we are in the Lord Jesus Christ? Where is it at? You know, one of the things my wife says, she's here, but we'll just act like she isn't. One of the things my wife says oftentimes is she'll have a smile on her face and she'll say something like, you know what? I think I'm God's favorite. You say, oh, that's so prideful, Billy. Billy, shame on you. I'm going to shame her right here in front of everyone. Show that I'm the boss in our home. Shame on you, Billy. The thing that's so precious about when she says that, she's she's not saying it really to Brack. She knows that God has other favorites. God has lots of favorites. In fact, those that are born again and leaning into him, we're all his favorite. We're so much his favorite that he sent his son to die so that we can be with him. But the thing that's such an amazing piece of when she says that to me is that the testimony 
that, that I know is behind that, tied up behind that lighthearted statement, is a powerful one. Because I remember the journey of my wife struggling to believe that she wasn't just barely making it in the back door of heaven. I remember the struggle, even with all the scripture knowledge, where she did, did not know that she was secure in her relationship to Jesus because of his intentionality towards her. And I remember her ups and downs in this journey. And I remember the day. I remember the day we were coming down Mountain Road and we turned on our road and we stopped because she had an aha moment where she leaned into God in her understanding. And she said, you know what? She says, you know what? God has adopted me and nothing can take that away. And she began a journey from there forward where she began to get set free from all the fake guilt and all the false condemnation and all the things that Satan and her past had laid into her life. She finally was able to say fake news. Ah, you knew I wanted to bring that up. Fake news. Now, she didn't say, now I can do whatever I want and it's eternal security. That's not how that works. We're not about trying to get away with the, with the minimums here, are we? We're about trying to lean into God and doing all we can. God, help us on this journey. But you know, my wife's not the only one that struggles with this. When we struggle to believe that we are God's children, adopted by his intentionality through the blood of Jesus Christ, when we struggle with that, we naturally do a checklist of saying, here God, see, I really do love you. See, I'm checking this list. I'm doing this. I, you know, I know I'm not where I should be, but God, if you see this, will you, will you, will you remember me? How much gold does it take and silver does it take to get the gift of God? Zero. It takes complete 100% leaning in and believing on the Lord Jesus Christ out of that place. Other things begin to happen. But that is the starting point. That is the continuation. That is where it's real. Are you all with me? Somebody who's in the area of a checklist bondage knows how hard that is to be in that spot. I just want to encourage you this morning. Lean into God. Lean in well. And say, God, show me what it is like to be your child. I want you with that in mind. Look with me to Romans chapter 8. Let's go over there together. I want to tell you this too, because this is how Satan works. Even if you are like, oh, I'm one of those people. I want you to know that as you are trying your best to work that plow in the field, and now you begin to realize this, you know, God is going to take you to his side and show you the better way. Don't feel condemned even in that. Romans 8, going down to verses 15 and 16, look at this. Paul understood exactly what we're talking about here this morning. Now, he had a little different context, and it's okay, but the principle applies exactly where we're at. It says, for you have not received a spirit of slavery leading to fear again. But you have received a spirit of adoption as sons by which we cry out, Abba, Father. We have not received a spirit of slavery with fear and performance. We have received the spirit of adoption where our hearts say, yes, Father, thank you. Remember my son? Uh, no, I don't doubt it because you're my father. 
Do you know that's exactly what God is expecting us to grow and mature into? Why does God love you? Why are you his child? Ah, because you're my father. Our heart cries out, Abba, Father. It is so freeing. It is so real. Do you know the righteousness that we bring before the Lord is cleaned and washed in that relationship understanding? Our performance is jaded. Our checklists are defiled. Do you know that? That doesn't mean we're, we're bad because we're trying our best and God's, what I'm saying is God is saying, no, I want you to wash this. I want you to let me cleanse this so it is a holy offering to me. In Titus it says to the pure, all things are pure, right? Why is that? Because the relationship with God, because of these things work that forward. So I just want us to understand that next, because I want to move through because we're, I got a few things left and I don't want to make everybody go to sleep. But next, let's talk a little bit about those who are weak in faith or weak in certain areas of their faith. I remember an amazing story when I lived in Boston and I wish these things happened more. They don't, but they, they become amazing, like looking back and seeing how God worked. And I was living in Boston and we weren't, I didn't know my wife and, uh, so I was a single man and I was out walking with a, a lady who was a spiritual mother to me and, and her son was like a, a brother to me. And we were walking along and I had this, uh, I had this really, uh, sad feeling in my heart that, uh, it almost, the only thing I could liken it to is it felt like I had grieved the Lord. And, uh, we were walking along and I just remember Marie said to me, are you okay? And I said, no, I don't think I am. And she's like, what's wrong? And I said, why? Well, I'm just gonna, I need to go spend some time in prayer. So, this doesn't happen very often in this way. So anyway, I decided I was going to go to this area where there was a lookout that you could look over into Boston. It was known for drugs and people would go up there and it was an abandoned park. No one really went in there. And at one point during World War II or something, it was a lookout tower was there to, to look down into harbor. But anyway, so I, I went up to this place. Nobody was there. And uh, and I sat down and I at the top. And I said, Lord, you know, what, what are you trying to show me? And I, and so I began to just open my heart up to the Lord because I, I had been through situations where the Lord had shown me areas where I had left my first love or I was full of arrogance or other things like that. And, um, anyway, while I was sitting there down, down at the lower part of the hill, it was, the sun was beginning to set and the lights of the city were beginning to come on. And I saw two silhouettes down there and I thought, oh, it's a guy and a girl there. And when I saw them, I knew that the Lord wanted me to talk to them about him. I was like, oh, no, come on. So I said, well, Lord, forgive me, but I'm going to ask, would you bring them to me? Yeah, you know, if he's going to really want this, he can, he can make them come to me. Please, Lord. Would you know, it wasn't even two minutes later. These, these people turn around and they start walking right to me. In fact, it was two guys. And, um, and they come up and they're like, hi, how are you? And nobody says, hi, how are you in Boston? Are you all right? They're like, hi, how are you? I was like, oh, I'm doing great. How are you? We sat there for for many hours until police came and chased us out. They probably thought we were bad people. But anyway, these guys, they weren't Christian. They just moved in from Chicago or somewhere like that. And they were new in the area. And we got to talking about Christ. And or I should say, I got to talking about Christ. And anyway, the odd thing was, I don't mean to, to belabor this story, except the context is important. So I said, this is crazy. I wouldn't expect this from you. I said, but next week we're going to Maine for a men's retreat. And I said, if you want to come along... Here's the address and here's my phone number. But I don't expect anything. It's all right. When you know these guys showed up, they showed up to this thing. So the one guy's name was Peter and the other guy's name was Mike. And so uh, Peter was, 
he was talkative. He was the blah, 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 blah. Michael, Mike never said anything hardly. And so they were there and lots of questions and they're not Christians and having questions and acting like they're open. And anyway, they left before the rest of the group left. And I just remember one of the guys there says, hey, that Peter guy, he's close. But that Michael, I don't know about him. He didn't say a word. And I'm like, yeah, I don't know if he's open. But anyway, when I came back to my house, you know, my answer machine was a message from Michael, from Mike. And he said, hey, this is Mike. Uh, I'm the guy that was there the week this weekend. I got some questions about God. Will you call me? So I did. And make a long story short, he did accept the Lord. And for many, many years, he was part of our church there. And Mike, Mike struggled to believe that the Lord's uh, uh, love was really upon him. He struggled in his faith year after year. And I remember there were times where he would he would just be going through a dark time and he'd be like, I just don't know, Rex, if I'm where I should be. I don't know if God accepts me. I mean, what if I, I don't feel God? I don't sense him. You know, I was the one saying, yeah, here's here's what I feel God's showing. He's like, I don't even hear God. How do I know? I'm, how do I know I'm really right with him? And I remember many times where I said, Mike, I said, remember how God brought me up to that mountain? Yeah. And I said, why would he do that if he wasn't searching for you? He'd be like, yeah, I need to hear that. He was weak in faith. He struggled with, with being weak in faith. Early in, I wanted to fix him. I remember one time I said, you know, uh, you know, faith, uh, being weak in faith, not believing in God like that. I said, you know, that's a sin. But guess what? Now, without faith, it's impossible to please God. That's a different set of circumstances. But when we struggle and trusting God in areas of our life. I want to show you something amazing. Turn with me, if you would, to 1 Corinthians chapter 12. Look at this. What I'm trying to draw out here is that if you are someone who struggles and you are weak in faith in certain areas of your life, you want to know something? You're not an outcast. God has you on a sovereign journey where you can lean into him in your weakness, where you can lean into God's sovereignty in the midst of your struggle. Those who are weak in faith, God will meet you as you lean into him and to the body of Christ. So 1 Corinthians 12. Go down if you would. Look, let's look at verses 12 through 25. Let me go down there and see where we need to be. Okay, so it talks about the body. Look at this. For even as, and of course I use the New American Standard. I think most of you know that. For even as the body is one and yet has many members. We know that. And all of the members of the body, though they are many, are one body, so also is Christ. For by one spirit, we have we were all baptized into one body, whether Jew or Greeks, whether slaves or free. And we were all made to drink of one spirit for the body is not one member, but many. We know that. For if the foot says, because I am not the hand, I'm not part of the body. It is not for this reason any less a part of the body. And if the ear says, because I am not an eye, I'm not part of the body. It is not for this reason any less a part of the body. If the whole body were an eye, where would the hearing be? And if the whole were a hearing, where would the sense of smell be? But now God, now look at this. Now God has placed the members, each one of them, in the body just as he desires. Okay. Verse 19. If they were all one member, where would the body be? But now there are many members, but one body And the eye cannot say to the hand, I have no need of you. Or again, the head to the feet, I have no need of you. 
On the contrary, it is much truer. Look at this, that the members of the body, which seem to be what? Huh? What? Wait a minute. Okay. On the contrary, it is much truer that the members of the body, which seem to be feeble, seem to be weaker, are what? Necessary! Guess what? If you are weak in faith and you're struggling in an area, sorry, you are necessary. Isn't that amazing? You say, how can that be? No, if we're really following Jesus, we're not going to be weak in anything. Really? You're necessary. I remember once I realized that for my friend Michael, not that to say he shouldn't be striving to grow or he shouldn't be growing in in his relationship to the Lord. That's not what I was saying. But in the period or in the journey of his weakness of faith, he was necessary in my life and in the lives of our church. That doesn't mean he needs to stay there or maybe that season will last all the way until God takes him home and wipes away all of those doubts. But isn't that amazing? Look at this, verse 23. And those members of the body which we deem less honorable on these, we bestow more abundant honor and our, and our less presentable members become much more presentable, whereas our more presentable members have no need of it. But God has so composed the body, giving more abundant honor to that member which lacks. We can look at that for a long time, but I think you get the heartbeat of that. If you are weak in faith, if you are struggling, you're right where God needs you to be and lean into him. That doesn't mean you're a reject. That doesn't mean that you're broken. What that means is, is that God wants you to make him your partner in that journey. Are you with me? Are you really with me? Those who are weak in faith, listen, often believe that the truth of the scriptures is real. Yet at the same time, they genuinely struggle with their own worthiness of being eligible for those great promises themselves. Guess what, body? They're needed here. Lean into them, too. Remember, we have all come into this world broken. And there are many things that we have experienced that bring wounds to us in this journey. So many among us will struggle to believe that God would really want them. But God does want them, and he wants them here. He wants you here. And he wants you in my church. And he wants you in other churches. You are necessary. I love one of my favorite scriptures in Isaiah 49. And it says, I will never forget you, my people, for I have carved you on the palms of my hand. Will a mother forget her baby or a woman, a child within her womb? Yet even if these forget, yes, even if these forget, I will never forget my own. Hallelujah. That is awesome. Stay with me. How much time do I have? I better watch this. Yeah, you always have a faithful sister says, don't worry, just do it. Half an hour. Half an hour. Oh, okay. All right. Well, that's doable. Turn with me to Mark chapter 9 real quick. (laughs) God bless you. Mercy Center. Just keep on going, brother. Keep on going. Mark chapter 9. Let's look at verses 20 through 24 real quickly here. 
Verse 20. It says, and they brought a boy to him, to Jesus. When he saw him immediately, the spirit threw him into a convulsion and falling onto the ground. He began rolling around and foaming at the mouth. And he said to his father, how long has this been happening to him? And he said, from childhood. It has often thrown him both into the fire and into the water to destroy him. But if you can do anything, take pity on us and help us. Help us. And Jesus said to him, if you can, all things are possible to him who believes. And immediately the boy's father cried out and he said, I do believe. Help my unbelief. Did Jesus turn away from him and say, what a shame. I wish you just could have been stronger in your faith. Did he do that? No. Jesus leaned into him. And he did what only God can do in an amazing way. Our God does not condemn us when we have weak areas in our faith. God calls us to his side so he may instruct us, so that he may fortify us, so that he may bless us. And it is in that place, whether or not in that particular moment, in that exact time where we don't know what the outcome will be, whether God will impart greater faith or not, the testimony of being with Christ in that way is the precious jewel. Of the circumstance. God will meet us there. God partners with us. To bring about his will. And in the lives of those that we are connected with. In fact as I already said. Brothers and sisters. If you are weak in faith. You are a necessary part of the body. Turn with me to 1 Thessalonians chapter 5. You are not a checklist. 1 Thessalonians 5, just looking at verse 14. I know we're jumping around. Remember I said that rock just kind of skipping on the surface there. Look at this. 1 Thessalonians 5, 14. We urge you, brethren, admonish the unruly. Now, if the unruly goes, oh, I'm just, I'm pitiful. Just have mercy on me. No, sorry. Admonish the unruly, encourage the faint-hearted, and help who? What does it say? Be nice and loud. Be able-minded. Help those that are weak in their understanding. Be patient with everyone. Another area that I'd like us to take an opportunity to look at is in the area of being humble enough, and I may end with this, being humble enough to confess our faults. Hey, we live in a, we live in a culture, we live in a day and age where we want to put forth our best foot, which I understand, put forth our best image, But the things that we aren't so nice about, we just hide away in a closet. So I'm the type of guy that if someone's coming over, I want to whisk through the house real fast and I want to make everything look decent. But don't open our closets when you come and visit, because if I was in charge of the cleanup, there's no telling what's going to be in there. Peanut butter and jelly sandwich and all. Because the goal is, is to make it look right. So that when you come in, you're like, oh, everything's peaceful. You know, have you ever done that? Those that have big families, you're running around, you're like, oh, oh, oh. you're trying to get everything done. And you're like, you're wiping the sweat. And then they show up like, hey, blessings. How are you? Welcome. As if you've been sitting there all day reading our daily bread or something, you know. And I just love that, that pressure. And you're like, wow, you know, you're like, oh. but the point is, is that that's how we live. And I, I get it. We've had these conversations among some of us men about the, even the, it's, you know, we, we like to say, oh, the ladies, the ladies. Well, it's not really just all the ladies, you know. I don't want you showing up and things looking out of order either, right? 
So that's why I put a high emphasis on calling first before you stop in. But that doesn't always happen. The point is, is that the reason why I do that, I'm not saying that's bad. I'm not saying that somehow being sloppy and purposing to be sloppy is somehow more godly. That's not where I'm, uh, I'm discussing either. But what happens is we also internalize those things and we want to put our best foot forward and how we look, how we answer, how we respond. I often say we want to look right, act right, and smell right, right? We don't want to really be real about the areas where we struggle, whether we're weak in faith or other areas or things like that. But you know, that is not where God meets us where we get an anointing and a growth and a spiritual maturity. That is part of the checklist. And some of that's not bad. But it can't all be there. God meets us when we're humble and when we are broken and where we are honest and where we are real. Do you know that? But that takes courage. Turn with me to James 5. I know you know this scripture. But let's look at it. The area, the context here has to do with physical, physical sickness. And so where the point is, if you if you step backwards on this scripture in verse 16, James 5, 16, the the context here is very clearly indicating that whatever issues are in that person's life would have been if they are real, if, if there is something to confess, we're going to look at it in a minute is what started the journey towards their sickness. So whether it was six weeks ago, six months ago, six years ago, whatever this issue is, is if, if this is in fact the reason for the sickness, which isn't always the reason, but if it is in fact is the reason for it, it started by them not being real and transparent about the faults and the sins in their lives. So that's why James says, hey, check this Make sure that this is the case. So before this, it talks about in verse 15, it says, The prayer offered in faith will restore the one who is sick, and the Lord will raise him up. And he, if he has committed sin, they will be forgiven him. Therefore, confess your sins or your faults. Confess your sins to one another and pray for one another. One another I can't get it out there. That ye may be what? Healed. Healed. So the point is, in this whole thing, is that it has to do with us hiding things, hiding flaws, hiding issues, hiding sin, and keeping it hidden weeks and months and years prior to getting to that point. So the Holy Spirit is saying, be real. Be open. And I'll meet you. No one likes to admit that they have faults in any area of their life. Do you? How many of you like to say, how many of you want to get up this morning, we'll open the mic, and you'll just flood through here, and I really struggle with gossip, and I just want to tell you, hold me accountable. Most of us don't want to do it. It really comes down to pride. This is a real blocker in the journey of being able to lean in and to receive from God the things that he is wanting to give to us. We have been asked many times, Billy and I have been asked through the years because of her unique story and our unique background. We've been asked by folks who are helping others who have been through situations where they've been violated as a child or have had some major issues. 
and they will ask questions, usually somewhere along the line, if there's any amount of time, they will, they will say, I'm really, really, I'm trying to work with and be a friend with this person. I really love them and care for them. They're struggling so hard with this thing. It seems as if they just can't get past it. And then they'll say, how did, how did you get past it? How did you, how did you work this out? And, and then somewhere along the line, we'll usually ask the question, is this person, have they been open about what has happened to them in a safe circle of, of mature brothers and sisters? Way more often than not, guess what the answer is? The answer is no. No, they're not. Because most of their lives, they have been hiding from this issue because of the shame or because they fear that it will bring rejection or when they have shared it with folks in the past, they have turned it around and superficially tried to lay some sort of uh, here's how you fix it stuff on them. And so they don't trust anybody. And so often they have spent a lifetime trying to ignore the struggle in hopes that somehow it'll go away. But guess what? It doesn't go away. Brothers and sisters, the reality is those who can share openly with a safe group now, you know, there are unsafe people in the church. Do you know that? I didn't say unsaved, unsafe. But those who can share openly and share their faults, share their journey, share their brokenness, share who they are. I'm not talking about making a giant therapy session week after week after week. But I'm talking about people that can be real and be cared for in a real way. Their path, if they can share openly, their path towards the Lord is much, much easier than those who just keep trying to hide it, cover it up, and hope that it goes away. Satan knows that confessing and praying are the keys to spiritual healing. So he's going to do everything he can to stop it from happening. Now listen very closely here. Turn with me to 2 Corinthians chapter 12. Yeah, listen closely. Turn to 2 Corinthians chapter 12. <laughs> you can listen in a minute. Right now we just turn to 2 Corinthians 12. 2 Corinthians 12, let's look at verses 7 through 10. Let me see if I want to do this. Hmm. I'm just going to read it through and not say much because I want to keep moving. We know this passage. The Apostle Paul says, Because of the surpassing greatness of revelations for this reason, to keep me from exalting myself... There was given me a thorn in the flesh, a messenger of Satan to torment me, to keep me from exalting myself. Concerning this, I implored the Lord three times that I might, that it might leave me. Verse nine. And he said to me, my grace is sufficient for you. The power is perfected in weakness. Most gladly, therefore, I will rather boast about my weaknesses so that the power of Christ may dwell in me. Therefore, I am well content with weaknesses. Coming to a place of accepting with insults, with distress, with persecutions, with difficulties for Christ's sake. For when I am weak, then I am strong. I become foolish. You yourselves compel me. Here's what I want to get to. This idea of leaning into God in the midst of our weaknesses, in the midst of our persecution, in the midst of our misunderstandings, in the midst of the enemies of 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 us. They come out and say, you are worthless, King David. You have no value. It's seeing God in the midst of it. I remember once I was at a powerful testimony of a man. It was at the Teen Challenge event. They're very powerful, even if they don't have the spirit working. I'm not saying they don't. 
They are powerful. It's all about. Whew. Anyway, this guy got up and he was so sincere. And I remember what he said. He said, he said, I was a drug addict. And by the grace of God, for these last two months, I remember, you know what? You know how self-righteous I was? I was like, two months, I hope it stays. How's that for self-righteous? Two months, I hope it stays. What kind of man, what type of Christian am I? But that's what I thought. Two months. I thought, maybe he'll be back out on the street before he gets, gets it right. What in the world? Sorry, just being honest. But I remember saying, I've been clean for two months, and though I still struggle at times with wanting to go back to drugs and to escape with them, he said, I'm standing here today as a testimony of God and of his care and of his power. He said, please pray for me that I can continue to walk. Isn't that awesome? And I just remember after I was convicted, I was like, Lord, God, I pray for this man. I want him to stay clean. I want him to stay right. Everyone there in that audience said, amen. And it wasn't a Mennonite audience. It was, like, amen, everyone was there. And it was so exuberant. Everyone's exuberant over this man. He's walking in victory for two months. Giving glory to God. But you know what? He was out there with his sin. He was out there. And I thought to myself then, and I've thought about it since, you know, what about the testimony of this? What about the testimony that says, I was addicted to being in control of everyone and everything around me. But I've been free from this. For the last two months now. And though I'm not where I want to be. And I'm still tempted to go back and control people. I'm standing here today as a testimony of God's care and power. Please pray for me. I don't want to fall back. Or what about the testimony that would be. I was given the gossip about people. Man I could shred them up. But I've been free from doing this for the last three weeks now. I know it's not long. And though I've been tempted to gossip about you again. Whoever you are, I'm standing here today as a testimony of God's care and power. Please pray for me. I want to stay right. Or what about a testimony that would say I was given to bitterness towards my past. But even though I still struggle with that at times, as you all know, I've given in, would want to give in to this, but I have not done it in the last month or so. I'm standing here today as a testimony of God's care and power. Please pray for me that I won't go back. Confess your faults one to another and pray for one another that ye may be healed. What about, I'm given to anger. I'm given to porn. I'm given to emotional disconnectedness to my spouse and children. I'm given to emotional disconnectedness to my children. I'm given to unforgiving or unforgetfulness, unforgivingness. I don't know if I did that right. I'm given to the fear of men. I'm given to anorexia, but no one knows. Now you do. I'm given to the need of the praise of people. I'm given to mental health struggles. I'm given to depression. And I know we don't like to talk about those things here. I'm given to being oversensitive to the criticism of people. I'm given to resentment. I'm given to materialism. I'm given to self-centeredness. I'm given to addictive behaviors. I'm given to homosexual tendencies. I'm given to the need of being secure or wanting to be secure at all costs. I'm given to a love of self. I'm given to being weak in faith. 
But even though I struggle with this, and at times I want to go back, I'm standing here today as a testimony of God's grace and of God's power. Please pray for me. What would that do? The joy of following God in his journey. Those who are open about their faults and seek prayer for their times of struggle. You know what? They receive the testimony. They receive the testimony. Isn't that powerful? Isn't that real? Isn't that awesome? Possibly, possibly you struggle uh, in being a negative person. Or maybe you're lazy. Or whatever it may be. Maybe I didn't even hit what your main struggle areas are. I mean, hey, sometimes the things that come up are very interesting. But I promise you that if you will humble yourself and you will share your faults with someone to hold you accountable, a couple of people that you can trust, and you ask for prayer in that area, do you know what? You will mature spiritually. Some of those things that block you, some of those things that keep you, you're like, how come it seems like I can't move on into things of the Lord? God will meet you there. But we have to stop looking right, acting right, and smelling right only. Only, right? In that journey. I'm going to close with this. One of the things that really took me by surprise, a number of years ago, we, we were involved in the Broken Home Seminar there at Penn Valley with not the last few years. And uh, really precious folks because they have very unique circumstances. Most of them have been Abuse, there's been violence and sexual issues, uh, divorce that's not wanted, and they're in plain churches, and they are they, are, they struggle, and, and it's very real. And you, you all know how that goes. And a lot of times it's, it's a unique battle for them. And uh, I remember the first year, I think it was the first year we uh, coordinated it, we had a session for the men, I believe. Anyway, I can't remember the exact context of when it, where it was, but this is what happened. So some of them were sharing some of their struggles and we're receiving prayer for that. And I just remember one man, uh, it's mostly women, but one man was there and he said, you know, I got to be honest. He said, I struggle with resentment and unforgiveness. He goes, but I repent of that every day. Every day I repent of that. The thing that struck me wasn't his honesty about his fault or even how he was approaching it. But I guess what struck me was, is, you know, his story was pretty horrific and if anyone deserved i don't mean that literally but if anyone deserved to be uh how do i say pushed down or put out or bothered by the circumstance he had received it was him but you know the journey forward for freedom for him even though his wife had created the scenario that he was in was him dealing with his own junk isn't that something you know, oftentimes the secondary sins that can happen, somebody offends, somebody gossips, somebody wounds, situation doesn't work out. The secondary thing that happens is our response to it in our spirits. And if we don't deal with that because we feel justified in the journey, it will lock us down. But when we lean into God, he will meet us there. I read a quote here last week, and this is where I'm going to close, by... Uh, Let's see, Martin Luther King Jr. And I I read it a couple of times and have been pondering on it. And it's pretty ironic because unfortunately, I would say for myself, this would be one of my tendencies to do. And he said, you know, in the history of our lives, when we look back, I'm paraphrasing, of course. He said, it will not be the words of my enemies 
that I will remember, but it will be the silence of those I thought my friends that I will feel. Every situation that God brings us, the closest thing that can wound us are those that we feel do not stand with us when we needed them. I want to tell you that God causes all things to work together for good to them who love him. Do you know that God even wants to use that to cause our hearts, your heart, to lean in and find grace and anointing and blessing and healing? But we have to be honest about the things that we struggle with and be real before God. Are you all with me? With that said, I'm not closing the service, but I'm going to, I'm going to ask everyone who is able, I'm going to ask you to turn and kneel at your seats. Precious Heavenly Father, we are on our knees because we love you and we want to serve you, Lord. Lord, in many ways, we're broken people. But God, we know that you call broken people to travel together. You call us to keep our face set towards you. You call us not to give up. And you call us to lean into you. Father, I pray for those that feel weak. Lord, pray for those who are struggling with secondary besetting sins. Pray, Lord, for those who feel like they've come under criticism. Father, pray for those who have been outright slandered and diminished as people, as Christians, as leaders. Father, I pray for them that you will send the power of the Holy Spirit's anointing in a fresh new way. And Lord, that we will cling to the fact that you will cause all things to work together for good. God, that doesn't mean that you start it, doesn't mean that you create the venue, but that means that you're a Lord of the situation. And God, we can trust you in that because, dear Lord, we need to. Father God, we commit ourselves unto you. I pray, Lord, for my dear brothers and sisters, that you will meet their heart and their mind and their soul, Lord, at the foot of the cross here this morning. And God, that you will allow them to hear your voice and pull them in and anoint and bless and work your work by the power of the Holy Spirit through the teaching of the word And through your amazing intentionality towards us, you have not forgotten anyone in this room. And Lord, we have all made mistakes. But God, we also know that a new day has come. And Lord, we want to lean into you and trust you that you are making all things good for your name's sake and for your glory. In Jesus' name, amen. Lord bless you. Thank you.